Thomas Jefferson once said, Place economy among the first and most important of virtues, and public debt as the greatest of the dangers to be feared. Adam Smith is often referred to as the father of economics, and is quoted, Labor was the first price, the original purchase, money that was paid for all things. It was not by gold or by silver, but by labor, that all wealth of the world was originally purchased. Well said. Let's celebrate the working class in this episode of Lockdown Law. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Law. In this episode, your rights in the workplace are discussed. This is part one of COVID-19 in the workplace. Part one will discuss employment law issues. Part two will discuss workplace injuries and information about your rights if you or a loved one gets infected with COVID-19 at work. I'm going to emphasize my disclaimer before we get started. It is located on the website lockdownlaws.com as well as at the end of every episode. The information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Information in this podcast may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners of this podcast should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No reader or listener to this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Use of and access to this podcast or any of the resources contained within the podcast do not create an attorney-client relationship. The views expressed at or through this podcast are those of the individual author writing in their individual capacities only, not those of their respective employers. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. The content on this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. Okay, so Brian is an attorney in California, the most populous state in this great country, and uh, he is going to answer some questions for us. How's it going, Brian? Going great, Ian. My kids went to bed for the evening, and I'm glad to be on the podcast with you. Well, thank you for joining me. You are my first guest on this podcast. 
Wow. So that's pretty cool. Excellent. Very cool. It'll All be right, a good well, show. I think so too. Um, I think people have a lot of questions. This is an uh, unusual time to say the least. So it, it is, it's a first time. It's like, it's just, you think, Oh, we've been through everything. We've, we know how to handle everything. Uh, we have all of human knowledge at our fingertips, but we really don't. It's just, you know, one snap and you know, where were you a year ago? You had no idea this was coming and lawyers didn't either. Yeah. It's, and it's created new law, which is, you know, interesting for lawyers, but challenging too. And challenging for employees who have to work in a workplace where legal issues are coming up left and right, almost in every workplace because of the coronavirus. Well, and, and nobody knows all the answers. I mean, it's just, this thing is fluctuating so quickly. Um, and there's been some historical, I mean, there's been viruses in the past, yellow fever, um, you know, stuff like that, where there's been some state quarantines and, and the courts have generally upheld those. Um, but what's different now is, you know, this term essential versus non-essential. Um, it feels, it seems to me that the government is kind of picking the winners and losers. And then, you know, in terms of favoring speech and assembly rights, how, you know, you can, you can go protest, but you can't go to church. Um, those, I think, are... Uh, distinguishing facts from these these cases out of you know the early 1900s and, and late 1800s um, that make what's going on today different but uh, anyways we'll get into the employment law stuff um, because that's super important um, so my first question to you Brian is what if you're uncomfortable about your employer's lack of safety precautions? For example, he or she is not wearing a mask. So if your employer is not wearing a mask, you're working, just assume, just to imagine it's like an office environment, for instance, and you have multiple people inside working, you know, maybe in close proximity for some of the time, maybe not. Maybe it's just more than 10 feet, 12 feet. Maybe they're even in different rooms, but... Um, if, if your employer is not wearing a mask and there's some sort of real danger or you believe in good faith that there's some sort of real danger that is in fact going to trigger some rights and obligations with regard to the employer. And what are they? And what those could entail, like for instance, in California where I practice law, is when the employer is receives a complaint that is made in good faith, meaning it comes from the employee's heart, they're not just making something up to cause problems, about a perceived issue with safety or violation of an ordinance or a law, the employer can't retaliate because the complaint was made. And so what this could how this could play out, and I'm sure it has, and the cases are going to trickle up eventually, is where, say, an employee goes to the boss and says, hey, boss, you're not wearing a mask. I think this is dangerous. I think the executive order from the governor says you need to wear a mask. And if they say, you can't tell me to wear a mask, you're fired. I mean, that would violate several different uh, California employment laws. Um, obviously, that's a worst case scenario, and it's not supposed to happen that way 
Um, but and the ideal practice, of course, is to actually make the complaint. I mean, that's how employees have rights. If you just keep this fear or complaint to yourself and you don't actually lodge it with your employer verbally or in writing or by email and something bad happens to you, I mean, of course, no one's ever going to draw a connection between, you know, what happened and your complaint. Okay. Because I think um, a few weeks ago, the governor of California um, issued a statewide mandate to um, to wear the mask in all public settings. Is that is that accurate? Because before that, that I, it was like county to county. I think I haven't gone into like the some most of the uh, executive orders, mostly because they've changed dramatically. And I've, yeah. I have gone into the one for for my industry, but yeah, that's in essence, and especially there's local ones as well. And my interpretation has been that the governor really was trying to make some sort of uniform rule because he saw that different counties had different rules about mass and just felt that was needed to make a uniform law across all counties. Um, but yeah, that of wearing a mask was required and that it is, there's industry by industry orders for what different employers have to do. And that does include wearing a mask indoors in many instances. And again, in terms of the workplace, if an employee is wearing their own mask and a coworker or the boss even is not, and uh, you know, that would be a violation and they, they would be protected or in other words, the employer would get in trouble for terminating or taking other what's called adverse employment action against the employee because the employee spoke up and complained about the boss not wearing a mask. So normally in California, when you quit, um, you are not eligible for EDD unemployment benefits, correct? That's correct. The general rule um, is that if you voluntarily quit, you, you don't get these benefits. The rule for unemployment benefits, meaning the welfare benefits that are paid by the state of California to people who are unemployed it has to be people who are unemployed for no fault of their own. So if it's not the employee's fault, they get the benefits. And if it is their fault or it's voluntary, they do not. So if you show up to work and um, let's say you're, you have a pre-existing condition um, and you're wearing the mask, you're wearing gloves, you're using hand sanitizer or whatever, you're trying to take the necessary safety precautions and your boss just doesn't care and is going up to you and trying to talk to you without a mask on, um, and you quit under those circumstances, then you got a better shot at getting the uh, the EDD benefits. Would, would that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. You And the employee in that situation would absolutely have a great shot at getting unemployment benefits obvious and the takeaway is you, you don't want unemployment benefits you want your actual pay because unemployment benefits don't pay you as much as you're actually earning they don't pay you for that long of a time i think six months up to a year um and it's a pain to get you have to navigate a, a really awful bureaucracy here in california to get the benefits and you have to do things in exchange to get the benefits. You have to prove that you're not working. But if there's a situation where the employee is in a 
where a reasonable employee in the employee's position would have to quit to stay safe, then yes, you would be eligible for unemployment benefits. And that was the law before uh, the COVID pandemic came. If there's a condition at work um, that causes the employee to to reasonably feel unsafe, they can quit and still get um, benefits. It's called a constructive discharge. Constructive discharge. Yes. That is a nice legal term. Um, so at minimum, you get the EDD benefits and possibly um, you could sue in civil court for, for more because you, you make a really good point that, um, you know, people want to keep their job, keep their benefits, keep their rate of pay. And when you take EDD, it's it's short term. Um, so you, would, you, you could possibly have other options as well you, under that hypothetical. You could under that situation where the employee you know, just feels endangered at work and they don't make a complaint and they're not fired and they quit. Maybe there's something going on. And honestly, no lawyer could probably say, oh yeah, they absolutely have a case. I know because just because a new law is enacted or a series of new laws are enacted, it, it, it actually is more ambiguous. It creates a lot of gray area and lawyers kind of take time even years to figure out like, okay, well, what is the law in this situation? What happened? So it very well could be the case that in those types of cases where the employee's not fired, they just feel unsafe. There's more than just unemployment benefits. I don't know. Um, or that it takes quite a bit more. It takes like, you know, the employer to be more egregious or maybe even a lot more egregious than just not wearing a mask or not perfectly adhering to the many requirements that there that exist. But really no, no lawyer at this stage could say, Oh yeah, that absolutely is a case. If they deviate from regulation, AB.256 of coronavirus opening act in <laughs> California. And every week there's a new yeah, sweeping change. It's a moving target for employers and the lawyers. Day to who, day even. It really is. Yeah. All right. Well, the next question is kind of getting into a, even more of a gray area, but I think it's interesting. So what if your boss takes all the proper safety precautions, um, but you follow him or her on Facebook or other social media, and you see that they're going to large public gatherings every weekend, and, you know, maybe you have um, some people in your home with, uh, with underlying health conditions. Um, so basically the question is you have somebody who at work is taking the necessary safety precautions, but you notice when they're at home, they're not. Um, what are your options as an employee if you feel unsafe in the workplace at that point? Okay. So there's a risky coworker who's, you know, doing their best at work to do what they got to do, but you, it's just known that they're, you know, standing to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder at an indoor concert, concert venue. And, you know, over the weekend, well, some of the same rules would kick in that, you know, if the, in terms of unemployment benefits, would they, if they just needed to quit, could they get this basic form of protection called unemployment benefits? They probably have a shot at doing that. If they're, if a reasonable person in their situation would to quit, then they could probably get those. Um, something greater than that sounds like a lot less likely if the employer is actually adhering to the requirements and rules at work itself. But again, if, if 
the employee has a good faith belief of endangerment, then that again could equal a constructive discharge. And there have been a few big changes, even federally, for employees who need to take time off work because they are affected themselves by the coronavirus or they have a family member who is, a close family member who they need to take care of, or if there is a school closed and they need to act as default uh, daycare and teacher for their child. And there's just a federal law that came about in April, late March, and it was enacted, I first think, in early April, and it creates a form of what's called protected leave, meaning a type of time off that the employee, one, they, they are allowed to get it and use it, and two, meaning it's protected, that if they do take it, the employer can't use that against them later. They get their job back. And um, this federal law, for instance, creates a form of what's called wage replacement, you know, in form of paid time off, where if they think they're in danger, they were exposed to coronavirus because of this uh, risky coworker and they needed to take time off and there's doctor's notes to, you know, verify at least some of that, then potentially they could get um, paid time off for if they needed to quarantine and they're unable to work while they're doing so. Interesting. Okay. Well, what if you have an awesome boss, um, they're playing by the rules, but you're just a nervous Nelly about getting coronavirus or maybe you're even a nurse. Um, can you just quit and, and collect um, EDD in, under those circumstances? That seems like the least likely situation where you would actually be eligible for coronavirus. Um, I'll explain it in two different ways. And this, you mean you mean EDD? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, where you would be eligible for EDD, not eligible for coronavirus. <laughs> where under the say 2019 law, where coronavirus wasn't on anyone's mind yet, if you know you quit and just walk away from your job, you need a really good reason to get unemployment benefits. Um, and that changed a little bit in 2020. They changed the law to say if there, if you are out of work for a coronavirus-related reason, you get benefits. And if it's just like a little hunch and there's really nothing to substantiate that the employee has it, that sounds pretty tough. But dealing with the the, the bureaucracy that hands out these benefits and is required that administers them. You know, they're really, you know, you get different answers on different days, depending on who decides to pick up the phone that day. So it really could even come down to just like you try one day and then you try the next and the second bureaucrat grants it. And you also have a right to appeal. If the bureaucrat on the front line denies your benefit, you can try again later down the road with an actual administrative judge. Well, and your employer has to fight it too, right? That's step one. Uh, the employer is given a, it, if after the employee uh, makes a claim for unemployment benefits, first they have to sign documents under penalty of perjury even that say, I verify that I quit for this reason, this is what happened, and they submit it, the frontline bureaucrat will say, uh, okay, and they'll process the paperwork, usually call the employer within a couple weeks, 
just for a couple minutes and say, Hey, is it true that Johnny quit because of this or you fired him because of this? And at that time, that's the first opportunity of the employer to say, no way. He just walked off the job. I've been doing it perfect. I was featured in the newspaper for how good of a boss I am about how safe I am. And that's when they first get the data from the employer to either deny the claim or allow it. And if it's allowed, then the employer can still contest the benefit. So let's flip it um, the other way real quick. So what if you're an employer and your employee refuses to wear a face mask? What are your options? Oh yeah, that's tough. So in California, um, well, it's a tough situation because I, I, you know, right now people are so scared of just getting this thing and the responsibilities of people to in the workplace to keep things safe are just enormous. And because the consequences can be really severe, um, in generally, and this is pre COVID, the, an employer has just a general duty and there's a many different laws that talk about this, but a general duty and obligation to provide a safe working environment. And that can mean everything from uh, keeping the indoor work environment at a a comfortable temperature to providing a chair to making sure if they're working, you know, with a forklift that they have training to operate it safely. And so they, they have this duty to provide a safe environment. And if there's an employee, you know, running amok and they know that they're, risky in terms of not wearing a mask and they know there's this person's going to be reckless and you know maybe give it to somebody they need to take action and correct that or else they're going to be in breach of their obligation to everybody else that works in the workplace okay um what about when you're working from home your boss is blowing you up texting you emailing you calling you and you notice next month your cell phone bill is through the roof. Uh, what are your options? Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, this is definitely going to come up more and more. And this is California law, but I'm sure other states have the same theory or the same principle is that an employer can't put the burden, the cost of doing business on the employee. They have to pay for the stuff that's required to do the job. And this can mean everything from uh, clothing that the employer requires employees to wear on site to, you know, uh, you know, a mask, like say you need to buy a mask to come to work. Well, that if it's work related, they need to pay for that. And it might seem, oh, this is silly. It's just a dollar, $2, even $10. I'm not going to fight over it. Well, if it's a giant employer and they're doing this to 10,000 other people or 2,000 other people. That is a big deal. Um, the same rule in, in California, it's labor code section 2,802, says that they need to basically reimburse the employee for the costs that they had to incur. And so this, over the years, has been interpreted to also mean cell phone bills. Like if there's cell phone charges uh, being incurred and it's partially because of the employer, those need to be paid by the employer. Um, And there's potentially really stiff penalties if they don't. There haven't been that I'm aware of a lot of other cases, meaning 
appellate cases that really get into the details and different hypothetical situations or rather actual situations to give more clarity on the law. They haven't said like, oh, internet you have to pay for if it's a home office or you have to pay for a, a computer desk setup or a, a sit-stand workstation, you know, at home because you're doing at-home work now. It hasn't come down with that clarity, but I'm sure eventually it will. Because the, the rule is the same, is that the employer, if they're saying you must work from home, um, you know, you must use the internet, you need to communicate with me on time, you need to answer emails on time or get back to customers on time or have the software on your computer to, to do so, they need to pay for that. Well, and it, it uses up your, your data too. So, um, and hey, money's tight these days. So that's good to know. It's good to know your rights. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if that extends to the cost of masks because, I mean, listen, this is not going away anytime soon and that could add up. Um, does does that apply to to purchasing masks as, as well? Yes, it would apply to the purchase of a mask or anything that the employer said, oh, you need to have this to come back to work to be safely either because we have to or I say you do. And the best way I, I heard from people over the years call about this question, say, oh, I worked there for years and I had to pay for this and they never paid me back. Well, the best thing to do is to, to tell your boss as you go along, hey, here's you know what I had to pay and just get get it taken care of before you know there's a big fight or you get terminated or it adds up to be a big whopping bill. Like put it out in the open, say, hey, here's the bill and just send it by email, get it taken care of. No need to make it add up. And of course, if the employer is just outright refusing, that's a, a different matter. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's good. You know, you don't want to keep track of that in your in your personal diary, and uh, you know, twenty years from now, hit up hit up your boss and be like, "Oh, by the way, you owe me thirty four thousand dollars." Oh yeah, no, you'd have yeah. a pro- <laughs> you'd have a problem. <laughs> There's something called the statute of limitations, which means that uh-huh. you can't you know, wait forever to do stuff and take action legally. You have to act sometimes promptly to enforce your rights. So if it was 30 years down the road, you'd be screwed. (laughs) Okay. And uh, so what if you're laid off and your employer claims it was because of um, COVID and uh, economic slowdown, um, but you really think you were fired from some other, I mean, we call them pretextual reason, but uh, for the, for the layperson, you believe you were really fired for some other reason, either your age, your gender, your race. Uh, what are your rights? Oh, well, that obviously triggers a whole host of rights if you are fired. Oh, first, this is very common. It's a very common type of employment lawsuit. And non-lawyers and also lawyers will usually call it a wrongful termination. Um, when lawyers use the phrase a wrongful termination, it doesn't mean, oh, well, I got fired because I was accused of not making my boss's coffee correctly. And it's actually Johnny's job to do that. And it was really unfair. They blame me. It was all him. Like it, it isn't just a reason that's unfair. It doesn't make sense. And it, the law in here in California, even, which has very employee favorable laws has says this, said this where it's like the employer doesn't have to just get her you know, perfectly right. And, you know, they can be mistaken about some poor performance allegation even, and it's still legal to terminate in many instances. But what is an employer cannot do 
and this is true under federal law in many instances as well, is they cannot say, even in part, that what is called a protected characteristic is the reason for the employee's termination, meaning because the employee has, what I do, a disability, meaning a, a health condition, or because the employee made a whistleblower complaint about unsafe working conditions, or uh, because the employee is gay, or because it's a Christian, or because uh, any other type of what's called a, a legally protected characteristic. And uh, obviously, it's it's not just something that's resolved in a day. You know, the employer isn't going to fold very likely and say, oh, yeah, you, you got me, you know. Uh, it, it was because of, you know, your race. It's uh, It would likely generate a call to one or more attorneys to find representation and, you know, an intake process with those offices to see what might be going on. And then, you know, sometimes it takes years in litigation to actually get the evidence and develop the evidence about, yeah, that wasn't just because they said there was this economic downturn. Business was better than ever. And it was just because he had a disability. That's why they fired Johnny. And so that's, that's what, in a nutshell, what would happen. Got it. And I think you may have covered this already, but if you're a parent and um, you have childcare issues, um, are you allowed to collect unemployment under those circumstances? Uh, yes, you, I believe you would. Uh, the recent law here in California expanded the reasons for which an employee can get unemployment benefits. And that includes now, you know, if an employee loses work or is unemployed because of COVID, they are likely going to qualify. Very good. Let's, um, let's cover a couple recent Supreme Court cases, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about your thoughts on the lockdown laws. Okay. Um, so this has been a busy term for the Supreme Court. Um, there have been two recent um, very interesting Supreme Court cases, one having to do with uh, religious employers and the other one had to do with sexu sexual orientation. Is that correct? Yes, those came out just a couple weeks ago. You want to give us a rough overview of both those cases? Oh, man, not really. I'm not a okay. constitutional well. <laughs> law pro, but I, I'll give it a shot. So a couple weeks back, there were two cases. And so the first one, uh, and this is for, for federal law, um, the first one, the issue is whether a transgendered person had basically rights in the workplace. And it, under this federal law that said listed what are called the protected char characteristics, meaning the things you cannot fire a person for, you know, including gender, does that mean gender? Does that mean a person who is transgendered? And that the Supreme Court in a split decision said, yeah, that encompasses that definition, meaning that's included in that. And under this federal law, uh, the employee could not be terminated. And, and that's, and that's, over, that's overstated, but that's what occurred. That's, I think, a very good overview. And I'll just jump in to add that every state um, 
is different. So there were some states that provided for these additional protections, um, but this was the first time um, it was applied federally. Is that accurate? Yeah, yes, that's that's accurate. So what you're talking about, Ian, and this is something that I think I only grasped for the first time, like in when I was a first-year law student, is is the structure of how law is enacted. And there's federal law, which uh, in many cases preempts or is supreme under what's called the supremacy clause of the federal constitution to the state law. And then there's state law. And so there's certain realms or areas where there's state laws only, and there's certain realms and areas where there's only federal law. And then there's areas like employment law where there's both. And sometimes they're discussing separate things. And so in this one recent Supreme Court decision about the rights of transgendered people in the workplace, they were interpreting a federal law. Well, in California, I mean, it's, of course, people are following it that do employment law like I do, but it's really like for years now, it's been the case under California law that that is a protected characteristic. So it wasn't exactly news for us. Right. It would be for some Californians, for instance, those who work for have a federal who work for the federal government or a federal mm. federal agency, like someone for you know I'm going to a national park um, next week. So if you work for the National Park Service and you're transgender, all of a sudden you have this right, and it's yeah, cool, yeah. Um, and then the other Supreme Court decision had to do with a religious employer. Can you tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So. Uh, I can, but man, you're tough. You're making me the constitutional law professor on the spot. So the the ruling deals with this general rule. And it's this, is that under the federal constitution, the document signed about 243 years ago now, something like that. And it says Congress shall enact no law that uh, basically inhibits the free exercise of religion. So like you cannot enact a law that prevents people from worshiping the way they want to worship. And this comes up in the context of religious employers who don't want to hire people who are living a life that they think is incongruous with their beliefs and their system of worship and uh, in any other circumstance, if it was a private employer, they, they could not be fired. Say you have um, a church and someone, I don't know the facts of the current case, but say a church and they, uh, a member or an employee has a gay marriage or is gay. And can you fire uh, that person legally if one of your fundamental tenets of your religion is that, you know, there is no gay marriage. It's between a man and a woman. And what has developed over the years is that there's kind of this zone where the federal government or the state government can't enact laws that invade the, the system of worship. It's kind of like, no pun intended, like a sacred space that the federal government can't touch. Like there's things they can and there's things they can't. And if it really affects the way the religious institution is going to operate and run and their beliefs, then they can't do it. They need to take their hand off. But again, if it's any private employer, it's game on the rules apply. So it's, it's 
we were talking earlier, is it, an, is it an exception to the rule that you can't terminate because of those reasons? Or is it because, well, no, the Constitution says that, and it's no exception that you can just enact this law. It's what the Constitution says, that you have this right to free exercise of religion. And so that's so, what happened. And it's It's really complicated. Yeah, it, it, it comes the, up all the time. Oh, my gosh. The First Amendment is complicated. The speech and um, religion cases are extremely complicated. And, you know, as you know, your, your free speech rights are different in the workplace than they are uh, when you're a student at school versus a private citizen versus a public citizen. So it gets uh, very complicated. Um, but just to summarize those two cases, the first case protects workers in terms of um, their freedom under the sexual orientation, you know, whatever their sexual preference may be, it, it sort of protects the workers. Whereas the second case um, protects employers, the religious employers. Is that a fair summary? Yes, it's, yeah, that's a, a, a very, uh, it's a synopsis, yeah. Okay. That's, but one thing that's tough is that in employment law, things can really change because of one fact. And so it's really not the case like, oh, religious employers can always do this. No way. And yeah, it's true. It's, it really does depend on the facts. So under this set of facts, yeah, that was oh, yeah. not permitted. But any other situation could be different. Well, and that's, that's why people, thing. and that's why people hate lawyers. I think is because <laughs> they never can give like, oh yeah, illegal right, wrong. On one hand. <laughs> like two plus two equals four. No, it doesn't work like that. It really right. is, especially in employment law, where it's it, there really is a, a collision of federal law, state law, and all these issues where you can't always give this clear answer. It's always going to kind of depend on actually what happened in the case. Yeah, well, that's the saying. You know, when you have the facts, argue the facts. When you have the law on your side, argue the law. When you have neither, you just bang on the table. Uh, <laughs> or on the Zoom camera lens nowadays. Yeah, there you go. I know. That is uh, strange, but that is the the new norm. Um, well, that was extremely helpful, Brian. You're the best. And Thank you. We're, we're lucky to have your... Uh, you and my two-year-old son think I'm the best. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So this, this last segment, I just, I want to ask you some questions about, um, your thoughts on what's happening right now. I know this is definitely outside your area of expertise, but, um, let's just start with some, some simple background questions. So what has bothered you the most about the, uh, lockdown? Hmm. A lot has really bothered me about the lockdown. Um, I'm like everybody. I mean, it's like, there's a lot of really negative things that are happening. It's just, and for me, I think one of the, the worst things that's going on because of lockdown is people imposing their will on people and make ramming it down their throat, like accept my level of fear or accept my level of acceptance of risk or accept this, this is now the, and like, and if you don't shame on you and shame on you. And some people call it, Oh, you're a Karen. That's one of the terms they use now, but it, it, it happens person to person. It happens on social media. It happens with the government towards 
citizens. And that I really do not like. Um, it's just me. I think it's part of probably just my observations. Um, but yeah, does, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Kind of the, I, I say this in one of my episodes that we need to learn how to speak kindly to one another because, you know, nobody has all the answers. And I think you're right on. It's like people are either, I don't think most people think this way, but the voices you hear are either, you know, completely on one side or on the other side. And, and like you said, ramming it down their throats. I think that's a good good phrase to use. Um, what's bothered you the least? Bothered me the least? Well, I think in a lot of ways, the life I live here on the central coast of California hasn't changed all that dramatically from even before uh, COVID versus after COVID. Well, you must not go to the beach very often then. Well, that did change, actually. I did yeah. go to the beach today, but only last week did they change the rules. But I live in a kind of a rural area. There's not a lot of people. I don't live in a metropolis. I don't live in an apartment building. I can grow some of my own food. I spend a lot of time at home with my kids. Um, nice. I even had a baby during the lockdown, by the way. Oh, wow. Did yeah, you get to end. go into the hospital? So that is something that actually was like really bothered me for a little bit because I, you know, you hear, Oh, it's a rumor. You don't know what's true. No one knows what the facts are. And that's another thing that bothered me is like the hysteria, just like people trying to whip each other up into a frenzy. Um, and I heard from that other hospitals, no idea where they were, were not allowing, you know, the father into the labor and delivery room, which was obviously very important to me. And, on my own, just debunk that as nonsense for the hospital we were going to. Um, and, but that was initially scary, but the other experience other than that, totally fine, you know, and that was kind of the first time I'd really gone out, uh, was when my wife was going to labor and my son, second son was born. And, you know, I saw like, Oh, people are enacting changes to make things safer. Like, you know, you can't bring in more than just, you know, the mom and the dad into the labor and delivery room. Uh, you can't go and come once you arrive. You have to stay there. Um, you know, the doctors were wearing masks. Um, it just a lot of little things, too. It was just good. I'm, I'm it was glad fine. everything worked out. Uh-huh. So how scared are you about the pandemic on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most scared, 1 being not scared at all? You mean how the pandemic affects me personally or like – you know, globally, like ultimate big picture. You personally. Oh, me personally. Yeah. Um, I'd say like a two out of 10, like okay. not like hardly at all. Um, not to say I haven't had moments where it's like a lot higher, but, uh, it's just me. And again, not to discount, you know, other people's experiences, including people who dying from this or in still working next to people. But for instance, I can have a productive day at work and not see anybody. I don't even have to leave a home office. Again, I live in a rural area. It's just kind of my experience. It's just not, I don't have to really see a lot of people to work and, and to do what I do, at least for now. And, yeah. you know, I don't have to be out there in the world. And when I do, I am very cautious. That's good. Yeah. 
Um, it is, some of the statistics are scary. Um, I talk about this in one of my episodes. One statistic that really um, stuck, with me, st stuck with me was we have lost more people to COVID than we have the Vietnam War. And it's by far. I think we lost around 50,000 brave Americans yep. during the Vietnam War. And uh, I think the latest toll today was around 130,000. So um, it's pretty scary when you hear stuff like that. It is. It's no joke. It's yeah. no joke. And it, if, you know, people sometimes will say, oh, it's only affecting people with a pre-existing health condition. Well, that's a lot of people. It's in like, yeah. you never know. When you read that, those stats, you wonder like, you know, how was it really a pre-existing health condition or was it just, you know, diabetes or something that's just super prevalent? So yeah, it is scary. It is, but you know, people, I'm actually probably more optimistic than a lot of people are. I think the whole world's working on this. They're going to figure out a vaccine. They're going to figure out how to deal with it. You know, people have a lot of tools and ways of dealing with really big problems like this that didn't even exist 20 years ago. I'm, I'm actually more optimistic than I think is Good. socially sure acceptable. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you live in California and I've been following the, the beach restrictions. Um, do you go to the beach often? Uh, how far are you from the beach? I'm like two miles from the beach and I was at oh, the cool. beach this morning. Okay. Um, were you able to keep up with the beach restrictions the last couple months? Were you following them? I was because I was, you know, trying to get out because my son really wanted to get out of the house. And for a while in my town, they were, uh, they closed the beach entirely. And for one weekend, I think it was East spring break, Easter weekend around there, you couldn't even go in the ocean. Like they were finding people yeah, like a thousand, they were a thousand finding, dollars. They were surfing. finding surfing. Yes, they were. Yeah. And then this, for a while they said you couldn't go to the beach between the hours of 11 and four. And exactly. that was to like discourage people from driving here. And you, if you did go on the beach in the hours that it was actually open, you couldn't have a towel or an umbrella or a chair. You could only <laughs> exercise and um, so, yeah, I did keep up on yeah. it just because that yeah. is, you know, it right It is right my there. understanding. You're right on. So from 11 to 5, um, you could not go sit on the beach. You were permitted to run or jog or walk um, or be in the water, but you could not sit on the beach. And so, I mean, it's so ridiculous to me. And there were there was actually um, – county sheriffs out there enforcing it it wasn't like you know okay we're just gonna say this and not enforce it i mean they were on atvs there were people walking around it was crazy and actually that's what got me into to doing this podcast because you know i think our government officials are, are trying to do the right thing but something's backfire i mean just say you got to be Excuse me, just say you got to be 10, 20 feet apart, you know? Yeah, yeah, people are adapting. And like when I, I'd gone to the beach quite a few times in the last few months, people, they aren't next to each other. They're right. far apart from each other. They, they, and, people are wearing masks onto the beach even, which they don't have to do. It, it, it's a safe thing to do. You're outside. 
Um, it's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health to exercise. And, you know, at one point you could, you could actually go into a restaurant and eat dinner, but you couldn't sit on the beach. That was the, the rules over the July 4th weekend. And tell me how that protects our health. And, you're, and you know, more people are just going to move their, you know, gatherings or their intimate family gatherings, you know, either to their house or to a restaurant. And I did, that one just really did not make any sense to me. And then it's like, okay, so you see a cop, if you're sitting on the beach and you see a cop coming, are, can you just go dip your foot in the water and then you're technically in the water? Start jogging in place, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I took my dad to the beach one day, and this is, again, this is what got me thinking about doing this podcast because it really bothered me is uh, my father is a a disabled Vietnam veteran, and I just took him out of the house, and I'm safe with him. You know, um, we, we found a beach where literally I think the next person was about 100 yards away, and he can't run or jog, so we just sat on the beach. And of course, you know, and I understand they're doing their job, but they came up to us, the sheriff, and uh, was kind of giving us a, a hard time. So that that frustrated me. <laughs> yeah, and the podcast was born. And the bod- the podcast was born. That's right. Um, so, well, thank you for giving us your uh, your thoughts on these these crazy times and your uh, legal expertise. Um, I think this is really helpful for people to know their rights in the workplace. Um, we got to celebrate the uh, working class, the backbone of this country, and your information uh, certainly helps a lot of people. So thanks again for your time, Brian. Thank you for having me. You have a good evening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I thank you so much for listening to Lockdown Law. The information provided in this podcast does not, and is not intended to, constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Information in this podcast may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners of this podcast should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No reader or listener to this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Use of and access to this podcast or any of the resources contained within the podcast do not create an attorney-client relationship. The views expressed at or through this podcast are those of the individual author writing in their individual capacities only, not those of their respective employers. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. The content on this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free.